Fellow Symphonians of the Internet, my name is Ryan Smith, and you are listening to SymphonyCast, where we talk to manly musicians to discover how they are musicianly men. These past few weeks have been a challenge to many of us, not only in our brotherhood, but in our country. The protesting against police brutality on top of the pandemic has shaken many of us to our cores. All of you have already heard people's takes on these circumstances, and I would just be another person online with an opinion. I'm going to keep this simple. Black Lives Matter. I wanted to take this opportunity to celebrate the parts of our fraternity and our inclusiveness and diversity. Before we start, I'd like to make a call for any brother that wishes to share their story specifically in the African-American experience in our fraternity to please DM me. I want to use this platform to listen to all Symphonian experiences. This week, brother Eric James Smith of New Iota talks about the origin of HBCUs and FIMU Alpha. Brother Smith was initiated at South Carolina State University in the spring of 2016 and served as the CPR of Province 30 at the 2018 National Convention. He is the current vice president of the Midlands Area Alumni Association. We talked about the history of Symphonia at HBCUs, his probationary membership experience, and where we can see Symphonia go in the future. It was an amazing conversation that I learned a lot from, and I think you can too. I guess the first question I have here is because uh, Jiren Joseph pointed me in your direction, and he said, contact brother Eric James Smith. What do you go by? Um, like, as go by as in just my whole name? <laughs> well, yeah, like, what do people call you? Uh, depends. Um, of course, my, my, you know, name is Eric James Smith. My parents blessed me with the three most common names in the English language. Uh, my LPs or my brothers in the chapter, they all just call me either Eric or E. Among my engineering friends, they call me E-Class. It came from another brother, much older one. He gave me that nickname. It's a long story, but we can probably dive into it another time. I love it. Yeah, so first of all, when were you initiated into FIMU Alpha? Um, I am a spring 2016 initiate of the New Iota chapter at South Carolina State. 
spring 16 was a was a good year for me not only was i initiated in family alpha that year i also helped to recharter our art fraternity at the same time so i was basically joining family alpha and initiating and then two weeks later i was finishing the rechartering process for the eight hour chapter of kappa pi yeah that that sounds like a handful um, before we get into that i kind of want to rewind here for a lot of brothers first of all what is an hbcu uh hbcu is an acronym actually it means a historically black college or university most of them get their start from the Morrill Act, which is the act that established land-grant institutions in many states. Uh, but there are quite a few that are private and religiously affiliated. They have a history of going back almost 180 years in all across the United States in the eastern and southeastern portions and a little out to the southwest. What was their original purpose, would you say? Uh, the original purpose for many of them were to educate freed slave and, and populations, basically. Um, many of them were started by the generosity of abolitionists and the um, affirmation of them saying that, well, you have to take the next step in your freedom, which is basically getting an education. Um, many of them started out as just local schools. Um, some of them branched out into becoming colleges after they, they've mastered the basic education system. And then some of them came about as a way of, sadly to say, keeping the status quo of segregation in the South. Um, that is what happened with the Morrill Act in creating separate but equal schools. So um, about half of them come from federal Morrill Act schools, land-grant institutions, and then the other half are private, either church-affiliated or just having come from the bootstraps. On that note, uh, what is the collegiate music experience like at an HBCU? It's holistically basically the same as most collegiate um, institutions when it comes to music. We study, of course, all the classics. We go through Bach. We do all the music theories. We do all of the ear training. We just have a, a slightly different approach to it. A lot of students that come to HBCUs will be first generation, the first person in their family to go. And in most cases, a lot of the musicians that come to HBCUs are church musicians. So they don't have a formal training in music. They may not even be able to read music, but they just have that raw talent that got them into the program. And then the professors go about refining that talent and teaching them the necessary things of being able to become either great music educators or amazing performers. A lot of HBCUs focus on jazz studies programs because, of course, jazz is one of the forms that was originated by African-Americans. So um, a lot of them focus on that. And then most of the private HBCUs have what's called um, either some kind of spiritual music program because a lot of them are affiliated with churches. What went into your decision to go to South Carolina State? My decision is actually twofold. So um, I'm a military kid. Uh, my mom spent 23 years in the Army, proud veteran, retired. Uh, my dad was an Army helicopter pilot. And so as I was drawing near to the end of my high school career, I had spent the majority of my childhood either outside of the United States or away from my family. So South Carolina State was 
literally one of the schools on my list because it was just an hour and 30 minutes away from my family's um, my family's roots in Sumter, South Carolina. And so that was one of the choices. And then I had always known I was going to choose an HBCU, but South Carolina State stuck out because it was closer. And two, it's the only um, HBCU in the state of South Carolina that has a four-year degree program in music industry with focuses in audio engineering. What made you know that you had to go to an HBCU? Necessity, really. Of course, I'd, I'd gotten a lot of, you know, insight and knowledge from my parents on things going on in the world. But growing up in DOD schools, which is Department of Defense, so when you're a military kid, you end up going to a lot of Department of Defense schools. And those schools are so culturally diverse and so very much a, a mixing pot of everything that you see in America just boiled down and usually showing a lot of, not to say homogeny, but not exactly branching out into the different parts. And so I knew that I wanted to get that experience of being able to go to a place where I knew that it would be four years of just enjoying the experience of being an African-American on my campus, which is something that a lot of HBCUs offer. It gives you four years of knowing that all the people that, you know, look similar to you are still going to have that same experience, that same drive, that same brightness of just trying to get ahead and move on with their lives in a better direction. Now, to tie that to Greek life, uh, the what is the origin of the Divine Nine and who are they? Well, the Divine Nine is actually um, a colloquial term, so we just call them the Divine Nine. Um, the Divine Nine are actually the nine historically black or African-American fraternities and sororities. They came about because simply of segregation. Uh, the very first among them, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, was actually founded at a predominantly white institution, or PWI. It was founded at the Ithaca College. And so the, the men there wanted to join some of their Greek life organizations, but of course were turned away. So they ended up forming their own fraternity at Ithaca College. And so that is the basis behind the Divine Nine. They, be, they came about because of segregation. And they've led a very strong and stoic history among not only just uh, predominantly white institutions, but of course at HBCUs, many of them um, their alpha chapters can be found at Howard University, which is always lauded as the, the flagship of HBCUs. Whenever you hear about HBCUs in the news, you either hear about three institutions, Howard, Morehouse, or Spelman. So most of them had their start at Howard University. The other um, organizations that are part of it are, of course, Alpha Phi Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha, um, Omega Psi Phi, Delta Sigma Theta, Phi Beta Sigma, Zeta Phi Beta, Sigma Gamma Rho, and Iota Phi Theta. In shaping of HBCU Greek life, they basically set the standard because if you go to HBCU, you'll find that they make up the majority of Greek life. There aren't a whole lot of different options when it comes to Greek life at an HBCU outside of the Vine Nine and, of course, certain other organizations that I'm sure you're probably going to ask about later. When it comes to, to Greek life, a lot of our customs and traditions are dated back to that. Um, Greek life at South Carolina State is very, very diverse. 
South Carolina State is lucky enough to have a chapter of every single Divine Nine organization. It is lucky enough to have so many different social organizations. And it just builds a pillar of what you can expect when it comes to being Greek at an HBCU. As it comes to Greek life, you can always expect to find things within your field. Of course, there's many, many um, what's are known as, the word is escaping me right now, um, honor societies yeah. in different fields. So, um, but when it comes down to just joining social organizations, social uh, fraternities and sororities, it's Divine Nine, most part, and Fabi Alpha. Those are pretty much the only social organizations that you'll find on an HBCU campus. All the other ones have an affiliation to a specific field or if they are a social organization, they're usually not a Greek lettered one. Now, that's really interesting to hear Phi Alpha in that list, but before we get there, honestly, the Divine Nine really interests me in general, especially I've heard a little bit about their history before, but what are some of the similarities or differences between getting a Greek life experience and HBCU compared to at a PWI? Oh, the... The experience is vastly different, and I, I hate to, to say that, but it, it pretty much is. That's fine. Um, a lot of uh, PWIs will get a, a taste of what Black Greek life is, because a lot of PWIs do have chapters of divine non-organizations. But that is just you know, like stepping into the shallow end. Once you, become, you come to an HBCU, it's literally not just a piece of Greek life like at a PWI. It is Greek life. There's nothing else but that. You'll have, of course, you know, the things that you usually see on the surface, which is like our step shows, our, our paraphernalia, our way of presenting ourselves, our social engagement activities, our philanthropy, everything is geared towards the mission and statement of basically an HBCU. Many of our Divine Our organizations, their philanthropy and mission statements and what they they stand for are all tied back into the HBCU and what it stands for. Um, development of mankind or, or womanhood, um, education, social welfare and well-being. Um, many organizations like Alpha Phi Alpha, they, they are very heavy on vote, voter registration and caring for the community. Organizations like Phi Beta Sigma, they're very much dive deep into education of the african-american race organizations like iodify theta they they're very much about developing the individual to become a part of the greater whole so when it comes to greek life at an hbcu those are like the bigger parts of it and it's just um the level of brotherhood and sisterhood is a little bit different because of how we feel at an hbcu HBCUs have this inherent feeling of we're all in this together. We're all trying to, to get through to the next step of our lives together. So like when it comes to being connected to whoever you're with, it, it, it just both stronger. That's a, a really powerful idea and message. And now I want to ask a bit more about how FIMU Alpha actually arrived at an HBCU when did Phi Alpha first have a chapter at an HBCU? That is an easy thing to say because just about any brother who attended an HBCU will give you the date right off the, off the bat. The Zeta Iota chapter at Howard University was found on 
May 2nd, 1952. So, and I actually, I don't want to say May 2nd exactly because it's strangely enough, my chapter's original chartering day is in the same month. So I may actually wow. be mixing them up. Okay. So I don't want, I don't want to confuse it, but I know it's always May in 1952. Um, and since then, Fami Alpha has grown on HBCU campuses. That first HBCU chapter of Fami Alpha is not only the first among for Fami Alpha, but the first among any predominantly white Greek letter organization in America. Fami Alpha was the first one to actually charter on any HBCU campus. So that is a very important date, not only just to HBCUs in our chapters, but it's very important as a, a marking date for the fraternity. If you go to the Symphonian archives online, you'll see that date sitting right there. It says first HBCU chapter charter. And so that is a, a strong point for many HBCU Symphonians of knowing that not only did Fami Alpha blaze away for itself, but it blazed away for other organizations who are were able to come to our campuses and finally charter. I guess what led into the decision for the brothers at Howard University, that charter class, to decide that we want a Symphonian experience here? Uh, I can't say exactly for sure. This is one of those points in time, like, I was wishing, like, man, I should call my PG because he's actually a brother of the Zeta Iota chapter, and he could give me the full breakdown of what it was and everything. But for the most part of what we do in our educational process is, like, it came down to the fraternity and those in the original class at Zeta Iota saying that they wanted to stand for something a little bit more. Because um, in 1952, we're in the height of the civil rights movement. And so when we are learning that in our, um, in our intake processes, we are taught that Fami Alpha is trying to push forward for a better representation of not only fraternal life, but the American experience. This is in 1952, 10 years before King even delivered the I Had a Dream speech. And so it's something that's saying that Symphonia is reaching for its noble aim of creating harmony before anyone else even like drives to make that happen. Was there any sort of reaction from the Divine Nine on the idea of a Phi Me Alpha chapter at Howard University? Um, I, I would like to believe there isn't any. The, the strange thing about chapters at uh, of Fami Alpha at HBCUs is that majority of the time, if you look at those original chartering lines, you'll find members of the Divine Nine making up those charter lines. Even at my own chapter here at South Carolina State, there is out of the 28 men who chartered at South Carolina State, about three-fourths of them are members of Omega Sci-Fi. So it's not a, a system of saying, hey, we don't want you here. It's like, hey, this is something that's also a part of us because those are musicians. They want that that experience of being able to corroborate with other musicians and students. I heard you mention Charter Line. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. Uh, <clears throat> is that just the chartering class or is there something more to it? Um, well, it's, it's literally those are one and the same. So like 
when you go to an HBCU, there's a lot of terms and terminology that are essentially, they have their own equivalency to a PWI. So when we say line, we actually are referring to the class or the brothers who came in with you. So class is interchangeable with line. Um, so I know for, for me for a fact that I always call the the class that I'm a part of, those are my, my LBs, which is line brothers. Oh. And so, and then with that, it comes another terminology of your ism. Ism is just um, a funny way of saying the person who had the same position in the line that you had going through the years. So I know that many chapters, they have their, their, um, their bigs and their littles. Uh, we have that as well. But the emphasis on your big and little is very much important, but then you also have this extra layer of your isms. So with my line, there were uh, 14 of us. And so the thing that we get is we get assigned a number when we are joining. And so that number is assigned to you by a very simple rudiment. We line up by height order. It's really easy. Literally so line was, up. Yeah, line up. So there were two people shorter than me. That was the one and that was the two. And then I was the third person in line. So for every third person in line, for how many years that goes back, those are all my isms. So they all have shared the number three with me. And then with those, there come tr traditions that go with those. So simple things as, as much as there's these things called um, tikis. So it's just like a little wooden medallion or a certain thing that gets handed down to the line so like it's like you're big giving you a gift and you give that gift to your little and your little gives it on that's how those things transition so there's it's quite a lot of terminology and i'm trying to remember them as i'm thinking about them the second i think of it i forget it so <laughs> most likely it'll come up again in conversation oh absolutely but yeah so what type of effect did Phi Alpha have for Greek life at both HBCUs and PWIs then in 1952 and afterward? It set the stage for diversification, really. HBCUs have always had a history of being inclusive, although a lot of people in America would think, wow, they have this school all of themselves is historically black. It must be only for black people. HBCUs have no such story. They've always welcomed anyone who wants to get an education through their doors. Even as early back as World War II, when German intellectuals were fleeing from their home country, and many of the predominantly white institutions did not want to have these German intellectuals teaching in their classes, HBCUs opened the doors to them. I believe it was at Fisk University that even Einstein taught classes in physics. So moving forward from that, HBCUs have always been welcoming of other organizations. And it just helped to broaden our Greek life in the sense that um, a lot of organizations have policies where they, they forbid joint membership into other organizations. We ourselves have those here in Farmia Alpha. But when it comes to divine organizations, they're like, you have responsibilities here, you have responsibilities there. We see no problem if you were able to, to do both. And so even with that, it just developed over time. As Fabi Alpha was the first, uh, many other organizations came along with Sigma Alpha Yoda, Kappa Kappa Psi, Tau Beta Sigma, and Mu Phi Epsilon, as well as other charters of even Delta Omicron. Mm -hmm. And so um, it just came to be, those came to be the staple 
really of predominantly white institutions at HBCUs. If you look on an HBCU campus, you'll either see, you'll see the Von 9 or maybe pieces of the Fab Fours, which we usually call them, which is the four first organizations. And then you may see other organizations like Alpha Kappa Psi, which is the business fraternity. Yeah. And I think, I'm just trying to think of the ones we have at state. I think those are the only social or fraternities that we have. So you, as you mentioned, the, the charter for Phi Me Alpha at the first HBCU was in 1952. And that was at the height of the civil rights movement. Things were getting hot. So I guess my question is, what was like Symphonia like at the time in comparison to an HBCU? I guess, for example, uh, what about like, was that chapter represented for province events or anything province related or inner chapter is a better way to put it? Uh, I can't say for sure without having result, <laughs> having to lean on Kyle because he has more of the information than mm -hmm. I would ever have. But if it all boiled down to it, I would have to probably say yes in a sense because I, I would like to believe that our brotherhood is stronger than color. So I would personally would say that that would be yes, but I can't say for sure. As it came forward into the future, lots of provinces, you see a lot of interaction between, well, my chapters here and province 30. They, they all seem to interact quite well because um, even though South Carolina State is in a city all by itself, um, Columbia, the capital, has the Delta Sigma chapter at USC in the Xi Beta chapter at Benedict College. They're literally 15 minutes down the road from each other on bad traffic. So it's not hard for them to interact. Um, a lot of us share information. We talk to each other frequently. It's not a necessary of do they interact, but more so of how they interact. And that's kind of one of the things that was discussed at CPR Convo when I was there. Of course, many of us had a discussion and I held a panel on connecting with your HBCU chapters. And some of the CPRs were like, uh, well, I have X number of HBCUs in, in my province, and I don't really know how to interact with them. And so, quite frankly, um, the late brother, Dr. Altry, he said, quite easily, just go to them. Just go to them. They will welcome you, just as they welcome anyone else. You're their brother. And so, like, that stuck with me because it, it quite finally fits. Um, I remember my first year as a new initiate and talking with my chapter, the new Kappa chapter at Winthrop, they were doing their, their yearly triumph tours. So they go around the state and go to different nursing homes to do triumphs. And they were in Orangeburg. They called me up. They're like, hey, we're in Orangeburg. Are you guys busy? We want to go get something to eat. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like the chapter's here. I think I can't remember if we were on break for something. I think we were on break for something, and I and most of us were on campus. And it was like, what do you guys want to eat? And it's like it's up to your choice. And so I was like, let's have let's have you know brunch in the calf. And so there there we were having brunch in the calf, and I guarantee you my campus was thoroughly surprised. Like they didn't mm -hmm. expect to ever see the a chapter of 
Fabio Alpha from a predominantly white institution sitting in a calf, all of us sitting there joking around, having a great time. And majority of the time when we host province events, my campus is is very much a buzz about how we get along so great because I don't want to fault the Divine Nine, but of course it's a very homogenous group. But Fabio Alpha is extremely diverse. So it's just it's just a, a um a matter of how and will. How willing are you to to really push together and create harmony? So that's my two cents. That's really awesome to hear. Um, I want to talk a little bit about New Iota. Uh, so first of all, what interested you in joining Find Mu Alpha? Quite frankly, it was between my career and my sociability. And I chose, ended up choosing to join Find Me Alpha out of basically stressing myself over joining another organization. And it was in that year I was torn between the two because at that time I was about to finish up my my first degree at South Carolina State because I had left South Carolina State for a year to come back after having spent time with my family. And what ended up being is I was in the running for both organizations. And so with that, I was close to finishing up my, my first degree and I was planning on graduating. This is before I even decided that oh, I'm going to take out a second major and just throw myself into the throngs of student Beautiful. debt. Foolish move. <laughs> but it was one of the choices that I made, and I was speaking to one of the, the Charter Brothers, the not the Charter Brothers, the Recharter Brothers here at New Iota, uh, Dr. Rashad J. Anderson, as probably many people know who that is. And he spoke to me. He's like, Eric, you have, a, you have a good opportunity of joining both. But think of it this way, and it all came down to a, a thought of basically the structure of FAMI Alpha. FAMI Alpha does not have graduate chapters, but the, the organization that you want to join does. So you will always have an opportunity of joining that organization after your collegiate days. Once you leave South Carolina State, there is very a slim chance of you joining as a a graduate member of Fami Alpha. So that literally led to my choice. That's an interesting take on it. I'm, I, actually, I'm not even, I didn't know there were like graduate chapters of any fraternity. That's new information to me. Um, a, a lot, actually, I'm pretty sure all the graduate, all, not all the graduate, all the divine organizations have a graduate chapter, which is basically a local chapter, which is capable of doing intake at their own level. So that's just another difference that comes along with the divine nine. Okay. And when you were considering Phi Mu Alpha, was it, were you considering any of the fraternities in the divine nine as well? Uh, I actually was, but I'd rather not say because I'm still kind of, yeah, you don't need to go into Thinking specifics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. And so what was your probationary membership like at New Iota? A lot of it is, of course, the same because uh, we do a lot of the same things that uh, most organizations do. At my institution, our um, new membership intake processes are very much structured by our Greek Life Office. Um, our intake has to begin 
either the 1st of February or after. It has to be done by the last day in March, I believe is now. March, yeah, because they added, they took or added a week or something like that. Okay. But you have those two weeks. You have at least six to eight weeks. And so with that, uh, my probationary process, um, we meet every day. Every day we have. Every day. Every day we have instruction in the fraternity. On Sundays we have uh, required required study sessions on whatever <laughs> we have in that week because it is very much, of course, GPA. Either you don't have it, and we have to remove you, and you do. So that is that is a, a nutshell. Um, the first three weeks are focused on history, philosophy, and understanding of the fraternity, and then taking our test, um, a national exam. And then after that, the next three weeks are set aside for each color. So we spend a week on every single color. We have red week, we have black week, and we have gold week. And then throughout those weeks, we also have um, practices for a very unique thing at HBCUs that we do, which is called a probate or a new membership or new intake process presentation. So it's just a, a show basically put together by your chapter to display to the campus that you are a member of this organization. Here's all the knowledge that I've acquired. Everything that has been instilled into me, I'm showing to the institution, this is how I became a member. And basically like we'll go through the We'll say the simple things like the object. We'll do things like colors and founders and important members. And then New Iota, we pride ourselves on this, on the document that we all learn. It's called the um, informational draft. And what it is, is it takes us from the pre-origin of Fami Alpha all the way back in 1886 when Ossian started meeting with the boys in the conservatory, all the way up into our own charter. And so we'll go through all of that information and we'll say it in a way that is both powerful and meaningful so that the campus knows, okay, these guys know their fraternity, they know their history, they know their love and their passion for it. And this is why they are now members. And so that is the, the latter half of it. And is that done before or after the initiation ritual? It's um, done after the initiation ritual, ritual, and our school is very, 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 very strict on that. You will not have a person um, be presented at South Carolina State that is not a member in legal and, you know, fraternal rights. So, mm -hmm. I guess this is all new information to me, so I'd like to stretch it out a bit more. Do all the fraternities in the divine nine do this or all the chapters in divine nine um all the chapters at my school also do it um many hbcu chapters do it depending upon the institution specifically at pwis it varies differently so my chapters in my schools we have which what are called probate shows which is like you have like we'll, what New Iota does is we have the entire recital hall and it's literally a production and each chapter gets those. Um, some institutions they have, which is just an unveiling or a death march. A death march is literally the last, done the last night that you are, with, in which you are not unveiled to the campus as a member. So um, 
a quick sidebar. Uh, one of the the key points of an HBCU process is you don't actually tell someone that you're doing an organization. Oh, really? It's kept a secret for the most part because we do that as a practice of setting yourself apart because much like how we, you know, set ourselves apart for becoming members of something, you're setting yourself apart. You're taking time to, to understand the philosophy and the knowledge that is being given to you. So you set yourself apart. You don't necessarily isolate yourself off from somebody that that's going too far, but we don't tell anyone that we're joining this organization. We of course wear our pledge pins and we wear them proudly, but most of the time we're not out to say, okay, this person is pledging. And so throughout your entire intake process, no one knows that you're doing this. So on the very last night, sometimes, at institutions, they what is called a death march. So it's a, a signification of rebirth, really. The old person is leaving, and this new person is being presented as a new member, a new brother or sister of the organization. And so some organ, um, some chapters at different institutions do those. South Carolina State doesn't do those anymore, but we do the probate show. So it's a little bit of depending upon the university or institution's policies. Did you wear, like when you got your uh, probationary member pen? Did you wear that in public? I did actually. Um, we wear it in public, but you, usually it's not in a very um, auspicious way. So like, I'll have it on. It'll be it's on me at all times because of course we all wear it at all times. But with an HBCU, it's not necessarily something that you can just like go and see right away like i'll have probably a second shirt on and you can of course see it if you're really close up mm -hmm. but i'm not just gonna say well hey i had this probationary pin and everyone sees it and knows that i'm joining we try to keep that um not as as you know knowledge to the everyday public so what's the experience like for this probate show then when what kind of emotions were you feeling when you were going through yours Whew. It was the second greatest night of my entire experience. The first being, of course, the initiation for which we will not dive into. Of course. Um, but it's the second greatest experience because it's where you get to let everyone know that, hey, I went through this long journey of becoming a brother of the fraternity. And it's just all of your friends are there. You invited your family. My family was right there on the front row. Um, and just as they're about to unmask me, I hear my mom's my mom yell out, that's it, E-class. And then it's just like an amazing experience that I wish every brother could experience. And it's just, it's a, a great feeling of completion. Like, because not only do you get to enjoy that moment, but your family and your friends get to enjoy it too, because of course you can't really hide that you're you're joining an organization from your family and friends. A lot of your close ones are gonna know. Okay, well he's gone every every night at six and then comes back exactly at nine. Yeah. So like, <laughs> and it's like he he's gone every Saturday or he's gone every Sunday and I see him around with these other guys that he doesn't he knows but he doesn't hang out with much but I see him with them every single day so like there's no way you can hide it and of course I told my parents right off the bat like mom 
I'm not gonna be able to call you as much anymore because I'm busy. And so it's just it's just a feeling of not only yourself getting that completion, but your family and your friends get to have that completion with you and the campus celebrates in it. Um, at my institution, every single organization has their own day, their own their own probate show. Some institutions, they're all together, but as on the state, we had a tradition of everyone is going to have their moment to shine to, to, you know, celebrate in the moment of you becoming a member of this organization that you've pledged to work for for your life. I, I, I can't even imagine because, like, you're, you're showing off the knowledge that you learned uh, throughout your entire process. You're probably singing some of the songs as well on top of the reveal in front of your fam friends and family. That, that sounds powerful. What was some of the music that you learned during your probationary membership? Like, how much is a songbook used at your chapter? Uh, my chapter actually relies heavily on the songbook. But, of course, as a probationer, we don't have songbooks. We just mm -hmm. have the um, themes. So we, we go over every song in the themes. Um, the brothers will help us a little bit. But it's actually at my chapter, it's a little bit of a test of, okay, let's see if you guys are willing to ask for help or do you just shun help altogether? It also shows us the ability of, okay, they don't need as much help here. Let's make sure that they, they focus on the areas that they help in. Um, we learn every single song. Um, and then we learn a plethora of extra songs because HCUs, we have very specific songs that go into our processes. Um, at my chapter, we of course learn, we end up learning Brother the Brother, but it's not one of the, the strongest of the HBCU songs that we learn. One of the songs that we learn at New Iowa is called Working, which is a, a variation off of Nina Simone's song, Working. And so we follow that, and the words are roughly, I've been working hard for my music. I've been working all day and night. Ooh, find me off of how it moves me till I get it right. And so like those are, those are the kind of things we learn, we all learn um, songs like Serenade, and then we also have Salute, and then we, um, every single class, because we are one of the lucky chapters um, to have chapter single Alpha Yoda at our school, um, we also create a, a tribute song to Sigma Alpha Yoda, which we unveil at night. Every every line comes up with their own specific song. Oh, cool. Um, we also make up greetings for certain people. We make up a, a greeting song for our FEO, make a greeting song for our AFEO, our president, and we also make up a greeting song for our chapter specifically. And then uh, New Iota, we do a greeting song specifically for our charter brothers because two of them actually work at the institution with us. So we always make a song for them. When you're a probationary member, you mentioned that you're pretty much gone from six to nine every night of the week and then study on Sunday. Does that continue after you're initiated? Um, it does continue after you're initiated, but it's more so optional. So the first two or three days after you're initiated, those classes continue and they go into post-ritual education. Um, we take post-ritual education very seriously at my chapter. We will go through every scrove, every song, every motion, every hand gesture, and break it down so that every member knows exactly the meaning of every little thing that you see 
going on or every little thing that you hear. So those continue on afterwards. And then after that, they're more so of an optional thing because there's more history that goes along with it that's not just covered in the themes of brotherhood specific or more so specific information of history when it comes to hbcu chapters makes sense and i guess i'm trying to picture because when i was a collegiate brother i maybe met with my chapter two or three times a week and even that sometimes felt like a lot i guess what do you what what does the average week look like for a symphonian at an hbcu if they go every day you have your classes from eight in the morning to about six depending upon your class schedule or load um with my class most of us were done with our classes around two o'clock so we would be done with classes take some time to ourselves um study do those things and we would always meet up at about four forty-five, five o'clock before class started to study information that we have been given the previous day and information that we've been given before. And so that was one of the things is we always come together to not only strengthen our knowledge, but strengthen our bond as a line. My LBs, those are the ones that I have the strongest bond with. Of course, I have great bonds with my, my pro fights and my older brothers, but those ones will always be the ones that have the strongest bond to me because there's <laughs> many many a jokes and many things that only the the 14 of us will ever understand so with that we'd always get together before class and then study and go over we get into class go over whatever our feo had for us that day usually we of course would start in the normal way of opening and singing the various songs that are required for that go through the information read parts of the other themes for brotherhood and then close out and then after that after we're done with class around nine we end up staying together again going over whatever we had learned that day so it's it's a different experience because when it comes to it sounds like a lot especially for six weeks of continuously doing that but it just flew by like if you ask any brother in the new iota chapter would they do their probationary membership education over again they would tell you without question yes because one thing that is always said to the brothers usually after their initiation from the feo is take this moment and enjoy it because after your probate most likely you will never be able to be with all 14 or how many are in your class ever again so like those are like the the most cherished things that you're always going to hold on to so that's why uh, my probationary member education is very important to me and it's very important to most HBC brothers. Um, the brotherhood aspect when it comes to HBCUs is very strong. Many, 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 many years over and over again, you'll always try to find ways to come back together, whether it be at homecoming, at probate, at another chapter to partake in whatever probate or educational thing that they've asked other brothers to be involved in either it's a ritual or many things but it's just it sounds long but now that i think back on it it feels feels so short and i wish it could actually be longer <laughs> so after you got initiated after you went through the process 
this is a question I like to ask a lot of brothers is because from your collegiate experience, is there anything that you would have done differently now that you're looking back on it? In short, no. I wouldn't change anything about it. Even the arguments that I have between me and my LBs, because it's, it's very hard to get 14 guys together on the same page. So it's quite a few moments when we would argue and I wouldn't change any of those arguments. So I wouldn't change arguments. I wouldn't change moments when we felt like we failed or that we didn't have the information as good as we thought it would. All of that just helped to, to shape our bond as brothers. So I would, I would never change anything about it. Now I, I have a few more questions here and Actually, I think this is one of the most important ones, honestly. So I'm in a province that's in Michigan, Northwest Ohio, and we did not have an HBCU in our chap in our province. Actually, I never heard of the definition of an HBCU before until I came to college. So my question is, for the many brothers out there that might not know about Symphonia's history with HBCUs, how can we learn more? A great deal of the history, of course, is learned by HBCU chapters. The easiest way that I could say is to just speak to them. Although our historical archives at Lycrest are extensive, they don't really cover the topic as, as and dives as deep into it as I would like. Things are changing. I can't, I can't say that it's always been the same. Things are changing. Representation of the Brotherhood is dynamic and flourishing. If you ever come across a brother who said they pledged at Howard or they pledged at Morgan or at Lincoln or at Savannah State, just ask them. They'll be more than happy to tell you. What is one little bit of information that I guess any brother should know about the Symphonian experience at an HBCU? I would have to say it's different, but it's still the same. It's like a coin, basically. One side looks different, but it's still a coin. It's still going to be a coin whether it has one side different and one side a different design. So Fabi Alpha is lucky to have this, this sense of duality in its existence. It is both a PWI fraternity and an HBCU fraternity. And you're capable of having both. You're capable of experiencing both parts of the fraternity. Um, a lot of times when I was CPR, I would have traveled to all of the chapters here in Province 30. And when I was president of the New Iota chapter, I would make sure that every event that New Iota had possible on this calendar, I would always put it forward in our province groups and invite our brothers and a lot of times, I just feel like with our brotherhood is a, a sense of, of being afraid of the unknown. We talked about this at Convo of, well, one of the CPR said, well, I went to my campus, uh, my HBCU campus in my province, and I just felt out of place. I'm like, and that's to be expected. The first time you go, you will feel a little bit out, out of place. It's not a space that was initially created that you feel comfortable in. But I'll use the experience of the CPR who preceded me 
Jeff Robinson. At first, I'm pretty sure the first time he came to South Carolina State, he did not feel comfortable. But time and time again, he kept returning, kept returning, kept returning. And now he's just as comfortable. He knows where buildings are on our campus. He asks when we're having certain events. He knows when we're going to end up having probate. And it just becomes normal, normal place. A lot of the the students on my campus, they expect, or well, they see a large contingency of non-African-American um, Symphonians, they're like, oh, Five Alpha must be having something. And so they, they've come accustomed to seeing it. It's going to be different in the beginning, but it's always going to be something better in the end. Where would you like to see Symphonia go in the future? Oh, that is a very long answer. <laughs> um, the direction of the fraternity I see is growth in every aspect of our brothers' lives and not just the parts that we've historically stood by. Um, I would like to see the fraternity expand more so in reclaiming some of its old vestiges and some of its chapters that may have you know, missed the opportunity and are probably better suited than they are now to host the chapter. I'd like to see the fraternity embrace more than just the the collegiate music experience i myself being um having started as a music industry major there isn't a lot of support in the realm of music technology from the fraternity as it stands now i'd like to see the fraternity more so out and about in the world of music and i love our, our partnership with dci i love how that we work closely with the Music Educators Association. In in the last few years that I've actually been a part of the fraternity, I've seen pushes to open the fraternity up more. I believe it was the, the first year that I had become a member, there was a question of, well, why doesn't Fami Alpha attend the Honda Battle of the Bands? And if you're African-American Sinfonian, you know what the Honda Battle of the Bands is. It is the largest HBCU show band showcase in the nation. And it's hosted every year in Atlanta. It's basically like the DCI championships for HBCUs. Okay. And so the, the fraternity, although I, I later learned the logistics of why the fraternity couldn't attend because there really wasn't a, a venue for the fraternity to attend. Uh, the fraternity has made efforts and inroads in trying to support that piece of what is important to other brothers and not just, just the fraternity as a whole. So every year now you'll see a post about the Honda Battle of the Bands on the fraternity's main pages and they'll always send a message out to whatever chapters of at the schools that are part of it. I believe last year, last Honda Battle of the Bands, every single school that was invited for the Invitational Showcase had a chapter of Fami Alpha and they noted that. So um, I do see, I see, see change in the fraternity and I see it continuing that way. Um, it's pretty much a reflection of the times that we find ourselves in right now there's going to be changed. Some were resisted, but the majority of us want it. Uh, I'm taken back to at convention when I was in caucus with the CPRs and a resolution was passed by the CPRs to have the National Executive Committee come 
back with a new songbook that incorporated the traditional songs written and composed by African-American brothers and chapters. Like, of course, the most popular song being that brother, the brother, um, the halls, working, salute, those kinds of things. And that came from a unanimous vote of the CPRs. They wanted this. So change is going to come. It may not be exactly the things that I see or what some of the other brothers would like to see, but it's going to happen. I like that. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that progress as well. And this is the last question that I always ask everybody on this podcast, and it's a simple one. And take it whatever way you want it to. Why Symphonia? Symphonia is because it's, it's, it's what it says it should be. I like to always use the words of our founder in saying, the noble aim of our society should be that of harmony. And I see for, for the most part, Fami Alpha is about harmony and progressive, progressiveness. I see that among most of our organizations in music, among all seven of them. They're very progressive in their approach. Sometimes they may take a step back and they may misstep on something, but they're always moving forward to change themselves or if not the majority of their brothers are pushing for some some form of change and so i like to think that symphonia is one of the leaders in that change and i'm being a part of it thank you to brother smith for sharing this part of history of phi mu alpha if you liked what you heard Please subscribe to SymphonyCast on your favorite audio platform and share this episode with one brother you think would be interested in this topic. As I said at the beginning of the show, I'm looking for more stories for us all to hear, so please message me if you would like to share yours. I am Ryan Smith, and you are listening to SymphonyCast. Wishing all brothers good night.